You're listening to Love Advice with Leanne. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Leanne. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Why, in your professional opinion, do you never take my calls off the air? Is this Carl? Yep, it's Carl. I mean, we had a few dates. Everything was great, I thought. Uh... Well, you know, when you switch to GEICO, you could save a lot of money on car insurance. Okay, awesome. You should call them. I will. GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Anthony C. Ferrante, director of Sharknado. Hi, this is the voice of BattleBots, Mark Burrow. This is Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. This is Frank Joseph. I'm the author of an essay in the latest book, Lost Secrets of the Gods. Hi, this is Linda Godfrey, author of American Monsters. Hello, my name is Robert Salas. I'm the author of Unidentified, the UFO Phenomenon. Hi, this is Nick Redfern, the author of Close Encounters of the Fatal Time. Hi, my name is Bob Luca. And my name is Betty Andreessen Luca. Hi, this is Jesse Proofus, the producer of JFK, The Smoking Gun. Hello, this is Marty Langford. I'm the director of Doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. Hi, this is Kevin Randall, author of Alien Mysteries, Conspiracies, and Cover-Up. Hi, this is Tracy Roberts, founder of Political Statistics. I'm Jeremiah Bombeck the producer of The Real of Horror. Hi, my name is Bill Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House. Hi, this is Micah Hanks, and I'm the author of the book The Ghost Rockets. And you're listening to Emmy on the Graveyard Shift talk show, blogtalkradio.com. Hello, I'm Annette McDougall for the Pop Show Network. Here live from Hollywood Boulevard, minutes before the world is about to end. Fear, rage, panic, paranoia, and $20 baptisms offered on Sunset Boulevard are going to do nothing to change our fate. Yes, we're all going to die. We're all going to die in a Okay. 
of a dying star. That's hot. From the snow-capped mountaintops of Middle Earth. Orbiting above the Earth in a stolen alien spacecraft. The Graveyard Shift Online Radio Talk Show. Now, strap on your seatbelt, get ready to kneel, true believers, because here's your host, Emmy. Welcome to the Graveyard Shift. This is your host, the illustrious Emmy, and I am broadcasting to you live tonight, February 21st, 2015. And by the way, the uh, awesome jam you're hearing right now, which I hope it's coming through clearly, is called Embodied by East Coast Raid, Holden Strianez and Ricky Mosher pretty damn cool if you ask me. I'm also going to be playing another new track by uh, Holden and uh, Daniel Edenfield of the, uh, you know, Throne of Anguish fame, of course. I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't I play something from our official show composer, right? Oh my goodness. You are listening to us on www.blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift or on iTunes on the podcast directory. All you have to do is look for us. We are there. Make sure it's the newest one. Make sure. Because there are there is another one that's um not as new. I don't know how to say that. We're the newest one. We're also the better one, by the way. And you know, I just realized I didn't say something that I always say. You are listening to the best talk show that ever has been, ever is, and ever will be. There you go. I was just I was just informed that I did not say that by one of our fans. They just they just PM'd to me. You know, private message. You know how that goes. You know how that goes. By the way, there's a lot of new stuff going on tonight, gang. I'm going to be, um, um, like, what do you call it? Debuting some uh, new bumper music. Not not just from our official show composer, but I'm also going to be, uh, we just, we had some new um, bumper music done by um, very awesome Fiverr gig master oh yeah and i think it's a w w w yeah and if any of if anybody out there i know some of our fans are also podcast creators so if any of you guys out there are doing your own that that that, that sounds a lot better doesn't it yeah it sounds a lot nicer not as buzzy on my side but anyway if anyone out there has your own show and you're wondering how do you get it to sound you know modern or you know, radio E. Uh, I highly recommend going to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com, and they have a ton of you know peeps out there that do gigs, and you know they're cheap, like five bucks, ten dollars, whatever, and, and you can have your own audio, and they do it for you. And and really, the turnaround time is pretty awesome. I usually get mine done in two days tops. Sometimes even the same day I get it. Depends on what you ask for. The best thing to do is to have your script ready. So if you if you're gonna do your own, if you want them to do like a um like a bumper song or bumper music, make sure you have your script. So like when you heard, uh, like when he said, you know, deep within the molten core of a dying star, that that's something that I wrote, and then he kind of did it his own. He did the voice on it, the voiceover, 
And you're going to be hearing more from him from Oh Yeah during the, the show. You'll be hearing some new stuff from him. So, I mean, I think you'll agree. It's well worth it. You know, if you have your own show, I highly recommend it. So, and by the way, I know I have some fans out there from Reddit listening in, so I want to say hello to everybody out there. And for those of you that may or may not know, we do have a chat room that is, it's kind of like a small chat room. And it's really, it's, um, if you have any questions about the show, if you want to tell me I suck, that's like a, apparently that's something my, my fans like to do. And, 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 um, if you have your own show that you would like to promote, sometimes I'll do that. If you have a band that you want to promote or a business, I may or may not promote it. We'll see. Um, as you know, I already promote uh, Dead Moon Friday. I promote uh, what's the other guy's name that I I just I also do them. Uh, Fishbone, uh, the Nuclears, um, well Throne of Anguish, of course, Chupacabra, and Sinistar. Can't can't forget them. And of course, East Coast Raid, as as I'm sure you heard me mention. Now, I would like to also start the show by apologizing to Miss Linda Godfrey, who was our guest, um, who we're going to um, air the interview with her and myself tonight. You're going to be hearing that, which, by the way, you guys are in for a treat, because I, I know I always say that the interviews are awesome, but I really do mean that, and I think you will agree with me anytime you hear the interviews that I do. I think you'll agree how awesome they are, and it's uh, and that's not just – I'm not just patting myself on the back. That's that If it wasn't for the person that I'm interviewing, the interview would be me talking to myself. So tonight's interview is pretty damn cool because Linda is a really nice lady. She's a class act all the way. And I also would like to make a correction because I gave a shout out to um, the wrong name of the – there's a podcast called Dark City FM, and I said Dark Skies, and I apologize to the uh, podcast host for that show. By the way, if you have not heard that show, I highly recommend it. It's another paranormal talk show. You can find them. I think they're on. I think he's on SoundCloud, if I'm not mistaken. If I am, I apologize to him. But he's a really cool guy, and uh, his show is called Dark City FM. And I and you can. Um, he's usually on Reddit, which if you don't know what that is, please f- find out. It's it's a great social uh, community, and, and I think you can go there by r e d d i t dot com, I believe. And um, anyway, so I want to thank him for kind of. Turn, turning us on to, to Linda, and we're going to be – I'm going to be uh, airing her interview with myself about her book called American Monsters. So anyway, if you're just coming into the chat room now, hello. Um, again, if you have any questions about the show, if you have anything you would like to add uh, of any of the stories that I talk about before I air the um, um, the the interview, please let me know, and uh, and I'll – and I'll I'll consider it. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get into – what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the stories of the day, and then we're going to get into the um, uh, the interview. So here we go. All right. Now, you know there's going to be – there's always weird stories, right? Well, how many of you out there are like barely surviving this ungodly weather? Oh, my God. Oh, look, I, I can't really complain. I'm in I'm in Florida. And I can't say squat. We had our our temperature at 70. But let me tell you something. We had a tiny, 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 tiny little bit of a taste of kind of sort of cold weather yesterday when the thermostat was at a really cold, like 30 degrees or 20 degrees, which for Floridians, that's like, oh, my God, what the hell? Well, I guess I shouldn't say hell because hell is hot, but you get my drift. 
So I want to tell you, man, all of you peeps out there, all of you shifties that are that are like like suffering in the north or in the Arctic regions, <laughs> I am so sorry that you have to deal with that. I also would like to welcome a lot of the new – I know we have some new fans out there listening. They they IM'd me that they were going to be listening in today or rather tonight, so I want to you know say hello to everybody out there. And anyone that's a fan of Linda Godfrey that's also listening, thank you very much. Please make sure to follow us on blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift. There should be a link there that says follow. Um, you should also go to our Twitter feed, which is um, hashtag Emmy shift show. That's E-M-I-S-H-I-F-T show. And we also have a Facebook group. Um, if you go to facebook.com and look for the graveyard shift talk show, make sure you get the one that has the most members because there's two of them. All right. So are any, is anybody out there so celebrating the lunar new year? Because right now in New York celebration is in the air. And it's in Chinatown. They are marking the new the, the lunar new year, which is the Chinese New Year. The um and does anybody know this is the year of the sheep or the goat in the Chinese calendar? And uh, spectators braved frigid temperatures to mark the occasion. Some covered their ears as wind whipped smoke from the firecrackers. And of course, what would the lunar new year be without a dragon dance and its promise of good luck? So it was like it was a huge celebration. From what I understand, it was about 150,000 in Maria. I can't even imagine. Wow. That's a if any of you were there, please let us know, and we would love to hear about it. Speaking of the winter and the frozen stuff, has anybody been to Niagara Falls lately? Because I've been told that Niagara Falls is still frozen solid. Now, as of, I want to say, the 17th, so that was what, 8, 19, so it was about three or four days ago, the winter's deep freeze transformed Niagara Falls into like a frozen, or at least parts of it, into like a frozen just waterfall. And... um a lot of tourists were there, of course, taking pictures. Now, I was told this isn't something that's unusual, that it happens pretty often. So I, I should also clarify, the, fro the falls are not completely frozen over. Okay, the Niagara River does, it keeps flowing below the ice cover, so the mist continues to rise, freezing on the surrounding surface. So what happened was days of sub-zero temperatures created like a thick coating of ice and snow on every surface near the falls, including railings, trees, and boulders. So if you haven't been there yet, you should go to – if you can, go to Niagara Falls State Park. It's next to the American Falls, and you know it's one of the three waterfalls that make up the, the, the attraction. And uh, they, you, know, you have a little bit of time. They're, they're not expect, it's not expected to thaw out anytime soon. Temperatures dipped to 7 below zero on this past Friday. So if you want to go up there, I would, I would recommend doing it as soon as you can. Um, but like I said, it's probably not going to thaw out anytime soon. So – at any rate, I'm just kind of waiting for my, you know, computer to decide to load here. Now, I understand that there's a, a town in Kentucky that actually has an APB out on Elsa the Snow Queen from Disney. I'm not kidding. So <laughs> apparently the police – no, no, this is not a joke. Well, it is a joke, obviously. Uh, uh, the police department in Kentucky in announced a joke warrant for the popular Frozen characters arrest Elsa – um, they posted a message on their Facebook feed Wednesday. They wrote, quote, suspect is a blonde female last seen wearing a long blue dress and is known to burst into song. Let it go. As you can see by the weather, she is very dangerous. Police soon posted another message telling residents that all kidding aside, they should take the weather seriously and be careful. So there you go. At least there, at least somebody's taking this, you know, with a sense of humor, you know, what can I say? If I see Elsa, I'm, you know, well, I probably wouldn't do anything because she could probably freeze me or whatever. Hey, has I'm going to tell you something. I have been noticing a lot of news lately 
UFO related, and that's not just because I'm doing the show. Has anybody noticed there's been a lot of like high level officials coming out saying that they regretted not talking about UFOs while they were in office? Well, unless if you if you haven't heard already, another outgoing advisor to President Obama has come out. John Podesta stepped down from his post on Friday, and then he tweeted that his biggest regret on leaving the administration was unfinished business regarding UFOs. Quote, and this is from his Twitter feed, Finally, my biggest failure of 2014, once again not securing the disclosure of the UFO files, and disclosure is hashtagged, and then it's also hashtagged, the, th- the truth is still out there, and then it's, uh, he, I think he retweeted it to the New York Times. Now, it should be noted, Podesta has a long-standing interest in UFOs, came to light after his first tour in the White House as President Clinton's chief of staff between 98 and 2001. He's encouraged the powers that be to come clean about unexplained UFO cases. In fact, you can see a clip of it. I'm going to go ahead and, um, and tweet this to our Twitter feed. See, it actually helps to be following us on Twitter because you can see all these um, stories as I'm talking about them. There you go. It's on there right now, so you can check it out. Okay, where are you? There you are. Um, it's unclear exactly what trove of files Podesta means in the, in the clip, but his tweet renewed demands from UFO watchers that po- politicians open any and all files about, uh, about utter space visitors. Now, I'm going to pause here and tell you, I don't know if that's exactly – if this is what they're talking about, but if any of you remember, sometime recently – there was a um, a gentleman that runs the site, theblackvault.com, and he, through the Freedom of Information Act, got the you know all the files and the the information about UFOs from the FBI, and he posted them online. I mean, you can actually go to his website and look through the information. If you go to, the, I think it's called theblackvault.com. Let me double check, but I'm I'm almost positive that's what it's called. Black, yeah, Black Vault, yeah, theblackvault.com. So if you go there right now, and he does, it's not just UFOs. He doesn't just have UFOs. In fact, I'm going to put it in our chat room. So if you want to, okay, there it is. So if you want to go to that website, if you go to our, if you're on our website right now, and you go to the, the click the link that I just put in our chat room, it'll take you to his website. I mean, well, try to right-click on it and open. Don't because then if you left-click on it, it'll. I hope it won't, you know, go over the show. But anyway, you can search for all kinds of stuff. It has government conspiracies. Um, it might even have cryptozoological stuff. I haven't looked for that specifically, but it might. And um, I think it has a, a couple of ghost stuff, maybe, and I, definitely a lot of UFO-related stuff. So I highly recommend it. But anyway, so there, you know, there, a lot of these people are coming out saying that they hoped and they wished that the government would have been open about this. And if you remember in my interview um, with Frank Joseph um, talking about – wait, was it Frank Joseph that I spoke about that? I believe so. We talked about the ancient Americans. See, I, I interviewed so many people that I forget who it was that I was talking to this about. It wasn't Louis Proud because he, he did the Yale file. Oh, my God. Who was it? It must have been Frank. Had to have been. Well, at any rate, one of my previous – this is terrible. I should have remembered this. One of my previous inter, uh, authors that I interviewed talked about his involvement with the uh, with a nuclear base and talked about the UFOs and whatnot, and um, – he talked about how he, you know, the, the the government should come clean about it and whatnot. Um, now, someone in the chat room just asked, "Does it have BF? Maybe 
Saz, I'm not sure what that means. I'm sorry. Saz, does it have BF? Maybe Saz, Sascron can find their two government ties in there. I'm, I'm not sure. I know that they have a lot of government conspiracy stuff on the website. Um, user, uh, I think uh, Lost Youper, I think is your name. But um, I know I know they do have a lot of stuff in there about government conspiracies, and um, so we'll see about that. Now, getting back to what I was talking about, that's about the UFO stuff, so that's pretty interesting. I think there's going to be a major announcement coming soon. I'm telling you, mark my words, when Obama leaves office, I would not be surprised if he says something about UFOs or if we're going to start hearing about that there's aliens among us or, or that we've been seeing or, or that UFOs are real, whatever. But you know who I who I know won't be surprised? The tomato-feeding robot. Oh, don't tell me you haven't heard about this. You haven't heard about the tomato-feeding robot? Oh, come on. Give me a break. You guys haven't heard about this? There is a Japanese robot. Oh, no, I'm not kidding. You don't believe me. I'm totally going to tweet this right now. You guys don't believe me. Hold on. I'm going to tweet this before I say it because I, I know there's some of you that are like, what? I mean, you're, you're full of it. Which, I mean, I am full of it. I just ate. Ha, see? I, I just made it funny. There is a tomato... <laughs> There is a tomato – well, it's not really a robot, but it's it's basically this Japanese juice and ketchup company, Kagome, built an actual tomato dispenser that you can wear, and a runner at the Japan Marathon was wearing it. And I just tweeted it on our Twitter feed just now, and you can watch a video. Really, you don't have to watch the video. There's an animated GIF of it. And I just – I could not do the show without talking about this stupid thing. <laughs> Whatever. There you have it. It's just a stupid – yeah, somebody just tweeted. Um, I'm guessing this dweeb is from the Northeast. I, I don't know if they were talking about the guy and the runner or me. If you're talking about me, I'm actually from the Southeast. But you were close. You were pretty close. Now, let me see. What do we have? We have... No, we still got time. We still got time. Okay, out comic book news. How many of you have seen the image of Aquaman? Now, they've been talking about this. They've been rumoring this. But they haven't... They didn't actually, like post it well they just posted Zack Snyder posted the first image of Jason Momoa I hope I'm pronouncing his name right as Aquaman and I think he looks pretty damn cool I mean it's hard for me to look at him and not think Khal Drago from Game of Thrones it's really especially like he looks exactly like that character except you know he's got a trident which you know I kind of think Khal Drago probably would have actually what am I saying Khal Drago didn't need a trident he ripped people's hearts out fed it to them and shit so now Zack Snyder tweeted the first image of him as the underwater superhero Aquaman, uh, who will debut in the movie Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And you can think whatever you want. I kind of like it. I think it looks kind of cool. Although, I think it's a little odd that the trident has five spikes or prongs or whatever you call them instead of just three. I mean, you know, trident, three, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But anyway, looks really cool. I'm looking forward to more images. Hopefully, it, they will show them. We'll see what happens. So, all right, that's it for right now. When we come back, well, we, when we come back, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go on a tiny, tiny, tiny break right now. When we get back, then I'm going to go ahead and, and air the Linda Godfrey interview. And then after that, if I have more time, then I'll go ahead and play. Um, I'll, I'll talk about more news stories. So hang in there, guys. We will be right back. Uh, come in, Houston. This is Apollo X. This is Apollo X. Request special permission to dock with the station. 
Uh, Roger, Apollo, you are go for station dock. Welcome aboard, Shifties. You're listening to the Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. Broadcasting live on blogtalkradio.com slash the Graveyard Shift. Follow us at hashtag Emmy Shift Show. For our Twitter feed, stay punched in. We'll be back.
Coming live from a war-torn battlefield, from atop a 200-foot-tall, last-of-its-kind woolly mammoth, driving a bunch of drunk zombies on their way to an all-you-can-eat super flesh buffet. Teaching a cat how to speak fluent Klingon. You're listening to the Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. And now, just finished from sucker-punching your country's ruthless dictator, because he's just that damn cool. Here's your illustrious host. Abby. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am going to go ahead and play the interview between myself and Linda Godfrey. I've, I've been having a few, a little bit of confusion between myself and some of the, the, the of our shifty fans in the, in the chat room, and I do apologize for that. Some of you may not be aware of this, but what hens, what happens on our show is that I actually rec- I interview the author or the guest before I broadcast the episode. So what I, what ends up happening is I call them or they call me at our home studio and then we record the interview between myself and the author or the guest and then during one of our upcoming episodes I air the interview live. So that's why I say the interview is live because I'm airing it during a live show but Linda's not actually on the air live with us tonight. Like in other words one of you are not going to be able to actually talk to her live. And the reason I do this, I've, I've actually, I have had fans that prefer that you know the guests be live, and that's fine, and I actually like it better that way. But I have had um, the publishers that I that I deal with, and a lot of the guests have told me that they actually feel more comfortable with me rec- you know, airing the interview later because they can be more casual, and if you know if I need to edit something, and um, you not, well, you can ask me questions, but you you won't be able to ask her specific questions but she did tell me if you guys have any questions you want to ask her please put it in the chat room i can email her and then i can either air the questions and the answers during the next episode or i can put it on our twitter feed but as far as asking her live no i'm I'm very sorry but she is not live tonight the interview is live but not her and i apologize if i didn't make that clearer before but um that's basically how how we do it on this show so when we had our brick and mortar studio uh and the other the other studio that we had uh we were more um we had a lot more you know open availability to, to have the guests actually flown in we had guests actually fly in some of them drove in because they were you know in the state and they would actually be in the studio with us um while we were talking to them but unfortunately in this particular studio we can't do that because of the the space issue and you know this particular um, the way that we do this here, it just we don't have the kind of budget for that. So it actually works better for them, for the guests, if we air the interview live during the next uh, during one of the episodes. At any rate, I still think you guys are going to love the interview. I I had a great time doing it. Linda had fun doing it. Without any further ado, I know you guys, <laughs> you'd rather hear her talking and, and me anyway. So here it is, the interview between myself and Linda Godfrey. Enjoy, and please do ask questions if you want during the chat. If I can't answer them, I will. If not, I'll I'll send it to her here we go ladies and gentlemen i am on the air right now with the illustrious the lovely the beautiful miss linda godfrey author of american monsters a history of monster lore legends and sightings in america and i gotta tell you i am pretty excited about this of course anyone who knows linda knows that she is not an amateur when it comes to this subject not in the least. So I would like to um, introduce her to you. And hello, Linda. Would you like to say hello to 
the the shifties out there and everybody out there in, in Radio Land. Hello, Emmy, and all the shifties. I'm really pleased to be with you. Well, we're very, very excited to have you today, Linda. So um, I got to tell you, I am really, I was really excited when I saw this book um, out there, and uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool because <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm a fan, of course, of cryptozoology myself, and and you know, it's interesting because. There are, of course, quite a bit of books out there about cryptozoology by a number of authors. And, you know, someone might ask, well, what does Linda bring to the table? What So what is so different about her, about her take about, on this? So if someone that's not familiar with your work were to ask that question, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you bring to the table of the, on this subject? Well, you know, I'm probably best known for... Um, the unknown upright canines, some people like to call them werewolves. I prefer the name dogman or man dog or unknown upright canine because I, I don't think that they are traditional werewolves. But I've written a number of books on these creatures, and that started back in 1991-92. So I've been doing this for something like 23 years. And even after all of this time, I'm still getting reports from all over the country on them. But the interesting thing is that right from the very beginning, people started um, kind of classifying um, these, these unknown animals as um, something that all should be reported. So I began getting reports of Bigfoot, large flying birds with 20-foot wingspans, odd things I couldn't even identify. And having started as a newspaper reporter, um, I just sort of thought it was my duty to keep track of all of these, even though they didn't fit in my books about the dog man. Um, sometimes they fit in a, a few of the other things. I did several books in the the Weird New Jersey, Weird U.S. series. I, uh, I co-authored Weird Wisconsin and then did Weird Michigan. So some of them fit into those. I did another book called Monsters of Wisconsin where I got some of the weirdo monsters from this state and but I still had all these other ones from other states and it began occurring to me you know you do something for this many years and you start thinking about what you've got as a whole and I realized that not only had there been a lot of other work by excellent cryptozoologists on different things like Mothman or the Bigfoot and that sort of thing but that I actually had a bunch of my own um reports that people had sent to me. I, not, I shouldn't say my own because I considered that they still belong to the people, but one, ones that were in my collection is probably more accurate to say. Um, and that combined with the other things that I knew were out there and that had been out there for decades in many cases, I realized that your average American just doesn't realize how many different unique things are being cited by sober and credible people and how long it's been going on. And what I wanted to do was put a book together that just kind of hit on the, the breadth and the depth of this um, sort of infestation, if you will, of hmm. really weird unknown animals that are out there. You know, and I think that's the perfect, um, <laughs> I think that's the perfect term to use is infestation because, I mean, you can just basically throw a rock in a bush, and you know you're gonna you're gonna basically hit on a a, a, a cryptid, mm -hmm. if you will, of of some sort of a name of a term. I um, 
It's funny that you mentioned weird U.S. because when I first started doing this show, in the in what I in what my fans and myself refer to as the brick and mortar days, mm-hmm. um, when I, when I was at the uh, the this radio station nearby here, um, we um, <laughs> we interviewed an author that also wrote in one of the weird U.S. books, and of course it was Weird Florida. Oh, and, um, Charlie. Charlie Carlson. Charlie Carlson. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Good friend. Yeah. And in fact, we interviewed him and Susan Thompson, who was the one that helped him out. She's been on. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's a very. First of all, she's an extremely dear friend, family friend, and a very close friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's a, a medium, and she's also um, been featured on many uh, history history related documentaries and shows and whatnot. But at any rate. Um, they had mentioned how they were um, how they had collaborated with other other people that had done uh, work for this series, and it's just the more I interview people and authors that have done work for this series, the more it just keeps just ballooning and ballooning, and it's still to this day. I mean, look, we're still talking about it to this day. How these guys that started yeah. something so small, and it just got to this big thing, and it it just shows you. I think that's why your book is so is so um, true and so relevant because it really is American monsters and it just you know I I was gonna ask you how many monsters did you include in this thing I mean because really there's got to be a, I mean did you did you have just a few or how did you do that No there are a lot of them and I mean the the book kept getting bigger I went over my original. Um, contract word amount that I, that I was supposed to stick to, the word count. And I kept finding more things and calling my editors and saying, um, could I just have like 10 more pages? <laughs> you know, and, and so it ended up kind of this, this brick. It's, it's um, 300 and some pages. Wow. And it has, I, what I did was I was trying to, it's really hard to set these things into order because there are so many uh, "Quote unquote monsters that you could put in several char- characters or uh, excuse me categories. For instance, Bat Squad. That's okay. They're, 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 we all know that they're real that they're characters too. <laughs> they are characters. Yeah, that's actually an appropriate word. Um, Bat Squatch is one of my favorites because, uh, especially for purposes of, of this illustration, because you've got this um, bat wing like exterior, and then you've got sort of a humanoid furry thing that some people describe as wolfish on yeah. the on the inside flying the thing and it can walk on two legs or it can um take off and fly so is it a land creature an aerial creature um it's really hard to to figure that out I, and i put it in the in the chapter on flight but i i basically have monsters by air sea and land is how i divided it up you know just for the the main designations and then Inside of that, it just kind of goes wild. Wow. Well, I mean, man, that sounds like a, a Halloween costume going wrong for one thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bat um, is actually my hands down top favorite name for a cryptid. I was just gonna say I love that name. By the, I was gonna say, wow, that's a really cool name, Bat Squatch. Yeah, it was. Have, it was coined by an early uh, witness in Tacoma, Washington, and. Um, I actually talked to the, and it was coined by the witness and not the newspaper writer who broke that story, but I tracked down that newspaper writer and talked to him, and, you know, he said this was a very well-thought-of young person, and um, 
he really believed his his story that that he told about seeing this giant bat winged thing, you know, with these um, you know, big eyes and the furry body and the weird thing is you kind of expect something like that out of Washington state where it's on the ocean and they've got large numbers of Sasquatch sightings and so much wild territory, the mountains, regions and everything, the great forest. But Basquatch has been seen by several small unrelated groups over downtown Chicago and in Pennsylvania and Ohio. We had one incident in Wisconsin here that I dubbed the man bat. And so this is something that's uh, not real well known with the public, but is quite prevalent and widespread. But no bat ban, though. We're not seeing any child uh, going around dressed up in with an R on their chest. They're not fighting crime, right? No, no Batman, no Rob. Oh, jeez. You know, see that that's that, that's what that's what upsets me, Linda. You know, we get all these crazy, kooky creatures all around, but no Batman, no Superman. What's going on here? Well, you know, <laughs> I have to go back again to Weird Michigan. I did find a Captain Jackson in Jackson, Michigan, who was that hometown superhero who literally had. Um, a superhero outfit, and uh, so did his his girlfriend and his daughter, and they would accompany him and and go around um, checking things out and keeping things cool in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Kidding? No. I was no. about that. Yeah. That's interesting. But he's not so in the really, monster it, book. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah. So ba- I mean, basically, it, you know, it, what we're looking at here is just a compend. It looks almost like a comp- like a compendium. Of monster lore right. and and you know monsters. Obviously, I'm sure you know. Judging from what you said, there's no way you could have included every single one of them because there's just right. so many. Right. But you know your experience in the field, um, which is which is really really rather um, start startling and and very very uh, impressive. By the way. Uh, you know, lends to a very good book and a good um, a good diatribe on this. And um, you know, it's funny, Linda. I whenever you, somebody that is not familiar with this subject, and we we have fans of all types that listen to the show. We have listeners of all types. In fact, um, I um, uh, a good friend of mine that that does a, a show called Dark Skies. I think you were on his show. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah. Um, we kind of share similar audience uh, audiences, and uh, we kind of have this this really amalgam of like you know amateurs that are just getting into the field that are just like wanting to know wh- more about it, or someone who's maybe been into it for a little while, and then we have experts, or well, they call themselves experts, and then people who actually go out there and take pictures and send it to us. And one of the things that I've discovered is that. There's a lot of di- of similarities between, you know, whenever they describe these creatures, for example, you know, Bigfoot, it's always the same kind of description. It's always the same thing. Oh, I see something bipedal, you know, such and such height with, you know, hairy, you know, physique and, you know, looking like an ape or a man and mm-hmm. this and that. And um, the point that I'm getting at is it it kind of lends you to think, well... If somebody were to ask you, how do you know that these things are not just somebody's wild imagination or, you know, maybe some, you know, down down by the river folk are just getting high on moon, moonshine and, you know, they decide to, to, to shave the dog and put the hair on, you know, Uncle Jeffrey and let him <laughs> loose in the woods. Well, and, um, 
that kind of thing is asked more frequently than you would think. Sure, sure. No, I I understand that, and and I think it's natural to be skeptical of things you don't understand. And I know that way back in ninety one, ninety two, in the newsroom, when somebody mentioned that um, they had a tip for me that people were seeing werewolves outside of Elkhorn, I laughed. I thought it was hysterical, and hmm. even though. Then and now, I don't believe they were actual werewolves. Just the idea of it, you know. And and I do believe that people were seeing something that looked like an a, a canine of some type, a large canine running on its hind legs, which is not actually a supernatural thing, by the way. I should I should mention it. It's something that any canine can do. But um, I I do believe that that people should think of the alternatives because um, there are. While, the, while I believe that there are lots of very um, valid cases, there are many misidentifications. Sometimes you have hoaxes. Um, sometimes your eyes could be playing tricks on you, especially, um, you know, if it's nighttime, it's often very hard to see. And, um, you know, if somebody just writes me or calls me and says, well, I, I rode by this woods and I saw this tall furry thing through the trees, um, you know, I wouldn't count that as a sighting because, you can't get any concrete deals, details from it. You really don't know what they saw. It could have been anything from a bear to a horse to um, whatever you could think of. But there are let's let's just take Bigfoot for an for an example. There are certain characteristics that are reported frequently enough that let you think that perhaps it is a Bigfoot. For instance. There's um, the size and the sheer muscle mass, the broad shoulders, um, the body covered with fur. And depending on the part of the country, um, it it does seem to vary as to how much fur is on the face. In some areas, the faces are almost devoid of fur. And in other places, um, like most of the ones that are reported around here in Wisconsin, are said to have fur all over their face. You know, maybe that's just a slight species variation. But... The body shape, um, the fact that the the arms are much longer than human arms and they move differently, the fact that it is bipedal and flat-footed so that even if it does try getting around a little bit on all fours, which they're sometimes said to do if they think they're being observed, they don't look like a natural four-footed animal. It would be more like a, a human. You know, if a human is, if you bent over and tried to walk on your your toes and your and your hands, you you know your rear end would be kind of up in the air. It won't look like um, you know, say a deer or something like that. Right, that right. That's meant to walk that way. Right. Yeah. Right. So there are certain things that you know the tracks are certainly unique. They're they're um, much more human like than any other track that you would see in the woods. And and I've seen a few myself, and and I, I can attest to that. So um, there are these general reasons that that you can um think that yes this was a bigfoot and not uncle eddie in a gorilla suit and you know i I, let me say a word about that too because i've gotten right from the beginning lots of fake photos people will send me a picture and say i I saw this and it's obviously cousin lenny in say a a, a werewolf suit or a, a bigfoot suit standing in a cornfield and you know, they're hoping enough of it will be hidden. But the thing is, especially if it's moving or running, it's really hard to pull off the the uh, illusion that there's 
an animal musculature and not a human musculature under that right. suit and running it because we're very attuned to pick out others of our own species exactly. and animals of prey. I think this is hardwired into us from the beginning as sort of a species preservation that um, if you see an, something, uh, some kind of animal or shape you don't recognize, witnesses will tell me this time and time again. They'll say, immediately this flip chart was going in my mind. You know, I'm like, is it bear? No. Deer? No. Wolf? No. Zebra? No. You know, going to the entire litany of things that this thing could possibly be until they realize it's something that they can't identify, they cannot categorize, and that's when people are usually panicked and um, run or do whatever they can to uh, back up slowly, get just get out of the area. Right. Well, yeah, definitely because you don't want to be there when it gets back. Um, you know, and it's and you're right. Um, it, it, there is a big, huge difference between a person in a monkey suit mm-hmm. and an actual cryptid, and I don't know if you're familiar with the story that occurred recently down here in good old Tampa, Florida, of this person that purportedly captured a picture of, we call it the skunk ape, but it's just another Sasquatch kind of creature that was, (laughs) looked like having a nice little uh, swamp bath Mm -hmm. in our Lettuce Lake Park. Well, um, I actually went to that park. And I saw the swamp that he took a picture in. Mm-hmm. Guess what? What? It wasn't even deep enough for oh. anybody to put their wrist in. Well, good for you that you went and checked that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I, I thought, well, unless this Bigfoot has like an inch high torso, <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and legs. There's mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. And man, what? A, now you want to talk about a mysterious creature? That would be one hell of a mysterious creature. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So you know, it's. I think that. And and besides, which if you saw the picture, it looked so fake. Yeah, it was pretty much making the rounds on the internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but I mean, you know, that's just. I, I'm guessing. I'm get, I'm using that as an example of you know obvious fraudulent uh, pictures, and then you see stuff like. You know, oh, well, I mean, like the Wolfman pictures or the Dogman pictures mm-hmm. or even the, the, the Mothman stuff that's really out there. I mean, that's when you're getting into kind of like the, the the supernatural kind of thing. And, you know, that there's no way to deny that there's something else going on there. Right. Um, <clears throat> now, getting into this is really interesting because you have that kind of that cutoff where you have natural cryptids that are connected to a natural species and then you have something that's not connected to anything natural that nobody knows what it's connected to and it might even be supernatural my question to you would be um do you think that all of the cryptids that are out there are connected to some kind of natural offshoot a natural maybe an evolved species that we're not familiar with yet or 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 do you think there is a possibility that there might be cryptids out there that do have some kind of paranormal supernatural connection, maybe even extraterrestrial connection? Well, you know, this is um the giant can of um giant slobbering pink worms that <laughs> giant, <laughs> giant, giant can of, of monstrous worms that hey, I really just, get I just into ate. trouble. That sounds really tasty, Linda. I just ate, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll I'll try and hold it down. Um <laughs> 
it it's it's the question that just divides so many people, you know, and you can you can go to either side and um the people who are completely flesh and blooders who believe that every cryptid is some type of natural animal that's been hiding out, maybe even is prehistoric in nature and just somehow a few of them managed to survive or, you know, whatever the explanation is. And to them, everyone who believes that there might be such a thing as interdimensional portals, although our top physicists are now saying, have been saying um, for actually over a, a decade that the at least the mechanical ability to do this is there, whether the creatures are doing it or not is a different question, but it is theoretically um, possible that, that it could be happening. But anybody who believes that is the lunatic fringe. That's the word they use. And then, right. of course, the people who believe that everything is coming from either outer space or underground or interdimensional portals, um, they call the other side closed-minded and unscientific. And, and you know, I just always believe the truth with something like this that's so complex has been going on since um, since recorded history began. Um, that's so worldwide has got to be more complex than one simplistic answer. You know, maybe there are some. I think, that, you know, the Bigfoot is, to my mind, the best candidate for something that is a natural creature that um, may have been some primate that developed here in North America. May, may, many people think it's. Uh, Gigantopithecus revisited or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, mutated somehow. There are lots of ideas for that. And I, I have to say that I had my own encounter with what I'm pretty sure was a Bigfoot that um, I watched it from maybe a few hundred feet away tear a 35-foot-long, 79-inch diameter living branch off of a living oak tree, both heavy foliated with bright green leaves, um, right in front of my face in two snaps. And the first time, I know it wasn't, um, you know, the weather or the wind doing this because it was perfectly still. There had been no storms. And it took two motions to do it. In the first motion, it twisted it horizontally until it was actually pointing at me. And then in the second one, it tore it off. And this was after going through some series of tree knocks and hearing big rustlings and, and that kind of thing. And I went back with people, a couple of people, trusted friends, um, because at that point I had run because I knew it took something huge to do. I can't imagine right, the you right. know the the force, the torque that it took to twist that size of a living branch. And I could see where it was twisted, but I wanted to go back and make sure that it wasn't caused by, um, you know, there were there were pileated woodpeckers that lived around there. It would have been a crazy place. It was actually 40 feet up the tree. The tree was growing from lower than my vantage point. So it was actually 40 feet up the tree. I don't know how a human would have or could have been up there doing it, but I wanted to make sure there weren't saw marks in case some strange, for some strange reason, some human had gone down in this kettle, climbed up this tree, um, decided to saw off a branch, and then waited for somebody to come along so they could twist it off it would still have taken a giant amount of force. But um, we smelled it. We found hand rubs where something huge had taken hold of that limb and applied that twisting pressure. And uh, one of my friends that was with me, not me, unfortunately, 
And if I had made this story up, it would have been me, but she saw it. And oh. just as it was striding behind um, some other foliage um, a, a little bit away, she saw it, and then it growled at us. And it's a growl like I never heard. And I've been out in the wild with bears. You know, I've spent enough time in zoos and listening to animal sounds that I I know what, what uh, you know, great cats sound like and, and you know, huge dogs. and every, This was something like I've never heard. And it was close. And um, so I have to say, I'm not sure that something that huge and that powerful could, you know, could something like that come from another dimension and manifest that amount of strength, you know. And the reason I'm sure that it was there, it that, that tree happened to be adjacent to a very well-used deer trail. And I think that it was sitting there, waiting to drop down on a deer coming looking for, you know, its its place for the night and that I interrupted it because it was about uh, maybe an hour before sunset when I first saw it. And it was very close to sunset by the time we we left and got out of there. It was kind of scary actually. But so, you know, there's there's always that dichotomy of, of uh, does it have to be natural? Then other people say, well, um, you know, and I've actually heard this from many Native Americans. They believe that these are all somehow creatures from what they would call the spirit world, maybe we would call it another dimension, and that they can come through, they know where the places are to come through. When they're here, they're fully physical and corporeal, they need to eat, um, they gather energy, and then when for their own purposes they want to go back, they know where that place is and they go back to the spirit world. So right, right. so they're real when they're here, they're unreal when they're not. But then you get lots of stories um, from very credible people who have um, told about seeing them, and this is with all different kinds of them, uh, the, the dog man, the Bigfoot, the giant birds, what what have you, um, the, the lake and sea monsters, um, that they, they seem to fade out or they'll see water rippling or um, steps crunching and there's no creature there. It's just like something invisible. They're seeing the invisible creatures effects that it's having on the landscape um right. you you have these kinds of things reported and i just can't personally um eliminate these stories because they're uh they because they seem unlikely or because they seem um you know to contradict what a lot of people would like to believe about them so where do you go from there right exactly and i mean you you said it you said it perfectly you know it's hard to to really pinpoint especially those instances where you see the after effects or the or the present effects of the creature or entity whatever it is making that effect for lack mm-hmm. of a better term and it's like right. well what is this thing is it really here is it not here and you know getting back to what you were talking about with the native americans um, I'm actually, my listeners know that I'm, I'm an author myself and I'm writing my fiction, uh, book set in the late 19th century. And <clears throat> excuse me, uh, some of my characters in the book are, are actually Native Americans. And I've, I've been researching <laughs> exhaustively into their, uh, legends and their mythologies and lore and whatnot. And I've actually spoken to several of them. And we actually, of course, we got to talking about Sasquatch and mm-hmm. whatnot. And what they told me was very almost identical what you just said. And then one of them said that 
many there are actually many modern day Native American um archaeologists and, and lore specialists who might who think that some Sasquatch and notice I said some mm-hmm. might actually be skinwalkers. Hmm. Which and they actually they also by the way mentioned uh dog men mm-hmm. and wolf men and lizard men in this category. Right. And for the for the listeners out there who are not familiar with this, um the skinwalker is basically a human being who can basically I don't know, for lack of a better word, morph into another shape or another form. And this, you know, there's a lot of debate on when this happens and what are the limitations and whatnot. I know that sounds like something out of a comic book. And, you know, hey, all of you comic book artists out there, here's an idea for you, if there isn't one already. Um, But, you know, that's another thing to consider. And and maybe one of the reasons why a Sasquatch has never been actually caught right in the, you know, in the buff out in front for all. I mean, think about it for a second. Look. Think about this for a second, Linda. How how long have we had cameras and a way to mm-hmm. capture on film these creatures? Mm-hmm. And for all of this time, we haven't actually gotten a full-on visual of it. All we've gotten is shaky cameras and blurry images. Not all of the time, but, you know. And Most of them maybe, are. I'm sorry? Most of them are. Maybe with the exception of Patterson-Gimlin, you know. Right, but- Right, exactly, and there are exceptions, but you know, for the most part, no one. Has, and of course, if there were, then we wouldn't be having this discussion because it would be dis, it would be a discovery. Right. But you know, uh, what the Native American told me was, well, maybe one of the reasons is because the Bigfoot sees the the human being and changes back into a, a person, or maybe Bigfoot sees the uh, the person and then they change back into a person's form, or maybe another animal form. And there you have it. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different explanations. There's a lot of different things that there could and could not be. Um, now, let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned earlier that the bat squatch is probably your favorite or one of your favorites in the book. What would um, – I'm, I'm very curious about this dog man fascination that you have. Now, what, what, is, the re- what is the difference between a dog man – and a werewolf, because to me it would seem like almost the same thing. And I apologize if it's if I'm sounding like a like a you know an amateur saying that, but it's oh, really no. one of the first times I've ever heard of that. No, not at all. Um, well, you know, when people say werewolf, they're generally in their own mind referring to the traditional Hollywood style um, thing where you know Lon Chaney is sprouting fur and whiskers and. Or you can move it up, you know, it gets um, a, a lot better special effects later on where you can see the, the muscles popping and growing and the fangs expanding and and uh, physically transforming bone and muscle and corpuscle, you know, and, and DNA from one species to another, two very different species, I, I might add. And that is not what I think is going on in most of the cases. Um Probably at least 90% of the dogman-type cases that I receive reports on don't have it doing anything that is necessarily supernatural. It's um, running or walking on its hind legs oftentimes. It may be using its forelimbs then to, say, carry a deer carcass or to be holding some carrion in an unusual way. Um, Mm. It may, because it's standing up, even eyed with people, it looks them in the eye and they feel that it's 
intimidating them in a way that most natural animals wouldn't. But none of those things are necessarily supernatural. Any canine, in fact, just about any mammal, can walk and run on its hind legs if it is trained and or motivated to do so. They just don't usually because it's not really how their skeletons are put together and intended to work. Um, you know, they're, they're most comfortable on, on four legs. But sometimes, you know, they're missing forelimbs or, you know, an animal is trained for, you know, a circus or performance or something. And you can see that they really can do this. So um, I don't like to infer that something uh, is one way or another if there isn't a, any evidence. And if the creature isn't doing anything overtly supernatural, you know, it's not sprouting little wings or um, glowing or anything like that, then I don't like to say, well, this had to have been a supernatural occurrence. Now, there are some. I have a really fascinating one that I've been looking into and uh, conferring with, with the the person who, um, I'm thinking it was Mississippi, which actually he drew me a very good sketch that I just got the other day, who was driving along and... Um, no, I, I take that back. I'm sorry. It was in uh, northern Pennsylvania. He was driving down from New York. And along this very hilly um, area that he was coming to, he could see a light coming down this hillside. And his first thought that it was an ATV, but it looked kind of funny. It was it was bright enough to um, really catch his attention, but not identifiable. And when it got down to the road, he had slowed down because he thought, well, there's some guy is gunning down the, the mountainside in his ATV and he's going to come right across the highway. And while he was right, it came right across the highway, but it was an upright canine creature with glowing fur. With with It was completely um, giving off this light as if it were bio, bioluminescent. Hmm. And, you know, this is the kind of story that you go, okay, this is so weird. And I've been talking and talking. And usually if somebody's playing... Um, you know, trying to pull one over. They haven't got it totally thought out. Um, you know, there's a lot that there's you can... gaps. And, there, yeah. there, there are just things I, I don't even like to say on the air that you can sort of pick apart and pick out. And so far, you know, I haven't seen any of that, you know. And and uh, that's an unusual one. And yet, you know, that's I'm good. not even positive that is a paranormal one. A bioluminescence is something that occurs in nature, but it just doesn't usually occur in a canine on a mountainside in northern Pennsylvania you know it's just it's just a, a very well I mean unless you know to... unless the canine unless the canine has been you know uh kind of raiding his owner's uh you know reefer farm there you know <laughs> yeah I yeah I I I don't know you know there's just you think you can explain it and then all of a sudden one comes along like this that sort of throws you for a loop but yeah um, and, and actually my next book is going to include a lot of the ones that I haven't put in with some of the other books because they were just so out there that they didn't quite fit in. And I'm trying to explore some of these alternative explanations. And, you know, sometimes I think that perhaps there are two different uh, kinds of things going on. Maybe we have um, some sort of natural adapted animal that in my books I've called it the indigenous dog man where something just, um, you know, some type of wolf species or wolf-dog hybrid at some point managed to um, mutate larger um, paws and toe pads. And people do note that characteristic when they see these things. They'll say it was just like a, a big wolf for German Shepherd, except it seemed its paws were elongated. And that would make it much nicer for if you wanted to you know, run on your hind legs. Um, so there's, there's that. 
And then there are um, the smaller percentage of creatures that do things like cloak themselves, like the Predator movies, or um, glow, or they'll have glowing red eyes, which is not natural color for canine eye shine, or other things that do smack more of the, the paranormal. They'll, you know, appear in people's houses. I think maybe there's a just as if we've got a whole big country of flesh and blood humans, but yet there are ghostly humans that appear in certain places and times to right. people. You know, and nobody would say, well, you know, those are just people. There, there's obviously something else going on there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe and I, I don't even pretend to, to know, you know, what that would be. But you see what I'm saying. There's the real live creature, and then there's the spirit mimic or the spirit representative of it. Right, exactly. And, and you know, that... I mean that could be anything. Who knows what right. that is? And, exactly. and you know, I, I will say it's it's refreshing to hear someone um, in this field that is an expert. And I do consider you an expert. Well, if there is say, such a thing as an expert, I, I'm not well, sure there is, but but um, maybe a good resource. <laughs> or good. Or, okay, let's go with that. So someone who is a very good resource, actually, instead of go right to saying, "Oh, it's a, it's paranormal. It's something ghosty." You know, some trying to put some kind of, you know, if you forgive the term, you know, reasonable explanation to it, you know, and that's something that's I, I find it refreshing because that's what I try to do all the time. I really try to think, OK, what could this really be here? You know, maybe somebody was having some kind of glow stick party mm -hmm. and they, you know, <laughs> I, know right. that, I know this is going to sound like I'm joking around and I, I'm kind of half joking, but, it, you know, those things have those little glowy um, things in it and those little glowy jelly-like substance. Maybe an animal, you know, fell in there and go, and you know got scared and started running off. I don't know. I mean, crazy things happen. People do stuff that's crazy. So, and I mean, I know that's really out there. So, but um, I'm curious. Did you would you have thought that maybe this dog man or things like that would have been? Um, could that maybe explain the Jersey Devil possibly? I mean, have you ever heard of anything like that in that in that region? Anything like the Dogman in the Jersey Devil region? Well, yeah. well, the Jersey Devil is is really uh, I I almost think it's closer to um, some of the the weird bat like creatures or um, maybe even the the some of the weird flying creatures. I included it mm -hmm. in my flying section because it is sometimes seen you know with the wings and and able to fly around in it and it actually seems to be a chimera or composed of parts of different animals. You know, right. it's got the, the, the hooves, it leaves prints, footprints that are like hooves, and some people see it with wings, some people don't. Some people, people say it's bat wings. It's got the kind of horse-like head. You know, it's it's a very different thing, and, and it seems quite different than the uh, upright canines to me. Okay. I was just curious because I thought, well, man, you know, maybe there's a connection there, but... But you're right. It does. It has have more of a chimeric kind of uh, kind of take to it, and um, and and you know when you're talking about creatures that 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 fly, another thing that although this is more in the natural um, setting is um, I did a a show a long time ago. Um, actually, my wife was my co-host, and um, we were talking about the Thunderbirds, mm -hmm. which was the ancient, um, very large birds that the excuse me, that the Native Americans would see literally flying around. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, to me, that's just more confirmation of something that really could be real. Right. You know, I mean, there are many times that we have hawks in Florida. They are freaking huge. And, you know, who's to say that they wouldn't have 10 foot wingspan, 20 feet? Oh, my God, that would be huge. Well, 20 20 foot wingspans in these giant bird sightings is actually kind of average. That's what most of them oh. seem to be, and um, there are quite a few of them, and there are different types. I kind of tried to divide them. Um, I actually did some research trying to look up as much um, authentic Native American artwork depicting Thunderbirds as I can as I could, and I discovered that most of them were represented as some type of raptor, something like a hawk or an eagle. Um, whereas a lot of people, when they say Thunderbirds, they they're confusing it with the sightings of the ancient pterosaurs. You know, like the um, that that are um, have leathery skin and the the skinny wings and maybe the um, oh right, like you know, the, like the pterodactyl, like the pterodactyl type of thing, type of thing okay. right? Um, but those those are more frequent than you would think too, especially down around Texas. But I, I don't think that they're the same birds that most of the Native Americans were referring to as thunderbirds. And then you've got another subset which look something like giant storks. Uh, for, huh. they're, they're not really storks, but they've got the long, sharp beaks, and they've got the feathers. And uh, there was practically an invasion of those around uh, Illinois in the Midwest um, in the 60s and 70s. And um, one thing I pointed out in my book was that um, the year that a lot of these began to be seen, and I've also, one thing I always like to do is map things out geographically, and I noticed that an awful lot of these big bird sightings were kind of following um, the Mississippi River as it, you know, runs north and south along the country and, and possibly because there are often cliffs along the sides of, of this river and they can use the updrafts maybe to help support themselves. But I realized that there was sort of a time connections that, that when um, a lot of these sightings began to start showing up, it was at the same time that they were beginning construction of the superhighway through the Amazon rainforest. And I thought, this is just mere speculation. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I just always try and connect some dots if I can and hope somebody with more knowledge and expertise will uh, take off on it. I thought, what if these things were being rousted out of their um, homes in the Amazon rainforest where it's been you know, one of the few uh, mostly undisturbed tracts of land that we had left, and all of a sudden there's a superhighway being cut through it. Um, mm-hmm. Certain things are going to get displaced, and I, when you look on the map, you can just see them heading north, and there's that Mississippi River, and then you get these um, gigantic bird sightings. All you know it. what? That's that's something that I haven't thought about, and I think you've got a point there. It happens with any animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what happens with bears. Right. You know, and 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 you know, and even in Australia where they are living literally almost no, almost nothing. They're literally they're living neck and neck with a lot of those animals. And I mean, there are people calling animal control over every manner of of beast that they see in their house. Right. Um. I mean, so if that happens with those, why not? Why not these these other creatures that we don't even know about? Right. So, and that does I point mean, you back to them being living creatures. You know, living natural creatures. If they're things that are appearing because they're being rousted out of their natural homes um, and being forced to be out and about where humans are, are uh, living, well, then that that really points more toward the natural creature idea. 
Exactly. I agree. Well, you know, Linda, we could talk about this all night long. There are so many categories and I, you know, I think what we need to get get out of this is it really if Bigfoot comes to your house and 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 asks <laughs> for some sugar, I think you should probably give him some sugar maybe and you know, maybe a cup of coffee maybe. I don't know. I don't know what Bigfoot's into. But <laughs> Yeah, like um, give me some sugar, big boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That is not that. That, that is not what you say to a Bigfoot, you know. I no. know. What would you say? Right, right. No. Exactly. I think I close, close the here. door, close the curtains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, it, it was such a pleasure to have you on with us. We hope to have you on again. Is there are there any other books coming up that we should know about? I know you said you're working on one, one particular one that uh, was coming up. Yeah, I it's it's. Um, one that is just getting um it's underway i'm i'm writing it i'm under contract with um penguin random house again um the my publisher of my last several books and it's just going to take a turn to explore some other areas because you know i always like to say if if you're not looking and examining the things that n- not just those that are comfortable to you but those that are somewhat uncomfortable but there's reason to go there and look at them if if you're not looking at everything then you're just kind of going along according to your own biases and that is not true investigation right right you need to be open you need to be open to anything that's possible anything is possible and you need to be open to a lot of stuff if you're doing this kind of thing well when you're dealing with things that are already unknown but yet you're unwilling to look at unknown uh, possible answers, you know that that to me is kind of a um, it do, it doesn't compute, you know. He, no. it, and and I do think being keeping an open mind, but not a gullible mind, you know, it, it can't be so wide open that things just fall out of it. But just keeping open to possibilities and going where there do seem to be connections and valid observations having been made that are worth exploring, and and even if it's just to, to disqualify them. For no other reason than that, um, you know. Then I then I think you're truly investigating things. Right, I agree. I agree with that. There you go, guys. If I, I can't think of better advice than that, for it's funny you said this because many of my uh, of the shifties out there, which is the kind of the cutesy name we give our fans, and they actually came up with it themselves. Um, they've asked some advice of, of if they wanted to get into this field of writing in this field, what would be some good advice? And I think you just gave some invaluable advice just there. Well, I hope and, so. Um, oh, I, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, and you know, it's, 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 you just got to have an open mind about this kind of thing and really just be open to what may or may not be. And sometimes it may not be something you agree with and you just have to kind of take it for what it is and, and, you know, test it. And, you know, scientific method is a, be- is, is a good per is a good thing to have with you. So, right. But, but anyway, thank you very much again, Linda, for your time. And and I hope we have you on again soon and it's been absolutely a blast interviewing you. And uh you just you you stay safe out there. If you see something else, you know, breaking branches <laughs> you know, you, you, you run you run for it, girl. Well so. thank you. Thank you. And if anybody wants to um get a hold of me to report something that you just go to LindaGodfrey dot com and uh you'll see a place where you can um get a hold of me and report it. Wonderful. And if they want this book, all they have to do is go to any bookstore. It's called American Monsters, uh, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America by Linda Godfrey. That's G-O-D-F, 
R E Y. Actually, it's Linda S. Godfrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, G O D F R E Y. Or you can go to Amazon.com and and buy and purchase it there. Um, and are you going to be doing any book signings anytime soon, or any any um, like personal appearances that anybody should know about? Um, yeah, I I will have a few coming up. There's a one in there's a, a paranormal conference in Milwaukee in June um, that I'll be posting pretty soon. I need to update my 2015 calendar, but I do have a bio and calendar page. And if you watch on there, eventually I will get some information on it. But Milwaukee June uh, will be probably uh, the next one, and then the season starts. And and just watch my page at lindagodfrey.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I usually announce things on there. And I've got Facebook pages, both for Linda Godfrey and Linda S. Godfrey, too. And on your... And on your Twitter, what is your Twitter hashtag um, it's, feed? It's uh, Linda S. Godfrey. Linda S. Godfrey. Okay, so, and, and we'll have her also on our follow on our page, guys, which, as you know, is hashtag Emmy Shift Show. So uh, you can also look for her there and on her own uh, Twitter. And um, if you ever get down here in Florida, Linda, please do give us a holler so we can, you know, oh, uh, meet to. you in person. That would be, that would great. be great. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks, thanks again, Linda. You have a wonderful evening. You too, and thanks for having me. Welcome aboard, Shifties. You're listening to the Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. Broadcasting live on blogtalkradio.com slash the Graveyard Shift. Follow us at hashtag Emmy Shift Show. For our Twitter feed, stay punched in. We'll be back. Sometimes forget that we get new listeners every every week. And um, by the way, which if I haven't mentioned yet, we have forty five thousand plus fans. Which oh my god, that's freaking awesome! I want to thank all the shifties out there for making us an extremely popular talk show. It wouldn't be the best talk show that ever was, is, and ever will be without you guys. So I want to thank all of you for making us that big. And um, I know sometimes we get new listeners out there and they're not really familiar with the format. That's my fault. I should come out with something every week to kind of introduce the show for those of you who don't know how we do it. Basically, this show is the way that we format the interviews. I record the interviews first between myself and the guest. 
and then I air that interview during one of the upcoming episodes. Some of the uh, guests, some of the, the listeners were not clear about this, and I do apologize. That is my fault. I should have said something first. So I know some of you like to ask questions of the guest while I'm talking to them. This is actually not a very popular thing that guests like. Some guests do like it. Some don't. Um, those that do, I, I offer to do it live, but a lot of t- nine times out of 10, they ask to record it be- before time beforehand. But honestly, the, the, the format of the show is that we record the interview first and then we air that interview during a live show. So that's why I say the interview is live, which it is because I'm doing it. I am playing it live during a live show. And as far as the other, uh, subject matter of the show, I know that during the show, I sound like. I'm a kind of a rookie and I'm like a noob to this whole thing, which I'm (laughs) a lot of you that know me (laughs) know that I'm not, I've actually done this for well over 20 years. And, um, a lot of people do not know this, but the majority, if not the main like base of our fans and listeners are fans and people who do not know the subject matter and who are just getting into it. So when I speak to the guests, I'm speaking as if I myself am not aware of the subject matter. And in fact, I think you are going to be hard-pressed to find any interview that I do that I don't know something about the subject matter. So um, there you have it. I know some of you were asking a question about that, and I'm answering it. Anyway, I want to thank all of you that were tuned in to listen tonight. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any suggestions of guests that you would like for me to interview for future episodes, please do so. Go to blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift and put in your suggestion, or you can go to our Twitter feed, hashtag Emmy shift show, and let me know who you would like me to interview. Um, I am going to be interviewing the interview. I'm going to be interviewing the interview between myself and Tracy Roberts, who is the um, producer and host of positively autistic. Anyone who knows the show knows that we are dear friends with them and um, they're kind of our, you know, across the pond sister show, if you will. And um, one of these days we're going to have to have the authority smashers on here just to mess with them. And, you know, so I can prove to them how capitalism is greater than, you know, anarchism. And (laughs) if that doesn't get them on this show, I don't know what will. (laughs) They'll probably get on the show just to yell at me about saying that. So anyway, maybe one of these nights we'll have Derek Johnson on here and his buddy that calls in. I'm not sure I remember what. I apologize. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but I know you you have a co-host on your show, and I know they're they're really cool. And hopefully, we can get you guys on our, on the air with us one night, and you can go ahead and air your grievances about the filthy empire that we inhabit, and blah blah blah. And you know, I'll be nice and whatever, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Stay tuned on our Facebook page and on our Twitter feed. Um, It'll probably be the same Saturday night, 8.30 p.m. You know what happens. Anything can happen between now and then, but hopefully it'll be then, and we'll be airing the interview. Actually, next week will will be the interview between myself and Brian K. Dyer, who is the producer of a great Tampa, Florida documentary, and um, I'll be interviewing him, and then I'll be airing that interview next, next weekend. So please do make sure to um, stay tuned for that. Go on our Facebook page because I'll be discussing him and his project. Great guy. Very nice gentleman. And uh, so I'll be airing that interview next weekend. So anybody that wants to get into film or is interested in producing or directing, 
next weekend is the way, is the is the episode you want to hear to, because listen to because this guy knows what he's talking about. Anyway, I'll see you guys in a week, and uh, I want to thank you all for listening again. This is Emmy on the Graveyard Shift, and I'm punching out. Peace. You feel that universe? That satisfied feeling only comes from having finished a super epic, awesome episode of the Graveyard Shift online radio talk show hosted by your illustrious host, Emmy. Make sure to follow on blogtalkradio.com slash the Graveyard Shift and our Twitter feed, hashtag Emmy Shift Show, to stay in the loop for future episodes. Until next time, Shifties, we're punching out. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. All right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.